Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode seventy-four of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, uh, here with Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Gentlemen, how are we? Yeah, I'm very well. Here, pressing the buttons, all good. As ever, good. We Making the magic happen, you, so Making Jack, as always. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, glad to be here. And did you know, guys? Did you know that? Oh, on... what's, the, what's this coming now? Is this... Well, it's almost like we might be starting a little new feature. Did you know <laughs> that on this day in 1948, so seventy solid years ago, one John Carpenter was born? I did and not so... know that. Happy Happy birthday, Mr. Carpenter, if you're listening. So what I was thinking for the start of this week's show and our In the Foyer section is uh, to get a pick for your favourite or most memorable John Carpenter movie, of which, of course, there are many beloved to, to fans across I'm, the world. I'm happy to do that, Pete. Yeah. But can we just exclude the thing? Because that, I would say, is probably everyone's. It's, I would say yeah. almost inarguably the best John Carpenter film. Maybe that and Halloween. Let's exclude those two. And we'll, go for a little bit off the. I'll, off I'll the go with that, track. Paul. We'll exclude it on the premise that we both think it's absolutely amazing, and then you can come in with what you think is is next in line for you personally. What have you got? Well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily his best film, but it is certainly one of my favourites. Um, and this is the Kurt Russell actioner uh, Escape from New York. Um, the premise is very very simple. Um, it, basically, Kurt Russell is Snake Plissken, um, who, uh, if anyone plays video games, will be interested to know and probably know this already that the character of Solid Snake. Uh, is modelled on because Hideo Kojima is a big fan of Escape from New York um, and he is an ex-con uh, that gets dropped into New York or Manhattan which is now a prison island uh, to rescue the president who's clash landed there so it's absolutely ridiculous um, it's a lot of fun Jack have you seen this? No I haven't You haven't? Sounds does it appeal? Yeah it does, you should yeah. <laughs> I will, Before this day is out you will leave with the Blu-ray Jack okay, <laughs> well, Funny Paul that you mentioned that Kojima is a big fan of John Carpenter's stuff because it turns out from doing a bit of reading that John Carpenter He's actually a massive fan and player of video games. Okay. Uh, do you want to do you want to guess at some of his most uh, well, his favourite games of the last few years? What would you go, John Carpenter, near seventy years old? What would he be into? Skyrim. Uh, not listed on the resource no. that I've got in front of me. We've got uh, one of the series that you lads have been playing recently, Assassin's Creed Three. Apparently, okay. big big fan of that. Is that a good yeah. one? Uh, yeah, it's okay. the American one. Yeah. God of War, Dishonored. Apparently, he's at E3 almost every year. Oh, is he? So, uh, I did yeah, not know this, but big game. God of War. God of War's mental. So he, I'll give him that. <laughs> his uh, apparently his son got him hooked on video games. Okay. And he sort of carried on playing independently since then. But I was going to give a pick also for my uh, John Carpenter movie, and it's going to be one that I didn't catch up with until quite recently because I talked about it on the show, and that's going to be um, They Live. Oh, They Live's great. They, they Live is not the most highly regarded of John Carpenter's films. <laughs> um, however, I think it's one of those that strikes you as sort of incredibly prescient when you watch it now. Because this is this movie all about seeing the sort of um, reality behind the facade that people walk around with in a sort of increasingly corporate capitalist society, right? And with this character played uh, by uh, Roddy Piper, Roddy, Roddy Piper, um, sort of making his way through a world that's increasingly sort of automated and, and faceless, but being able to wear a pair of sunglasses that shows him the truth about society. And it really worked for me and I loved it like quite a lot and some interesting things about this movie have you seen this one Jack? No I haven't. Oh we've got to do a John Carpenter <laughs> Jack Marathon <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get, we'll get yeah. together um, apparently you know this line that we talked about when we did the review uh, I've come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble yeah. gum is one that Roddy Piper um, imp- improvised himself based on a load of scripts that he'd written for his wrestling promos oh, okay. and pulled that one out and then another thing and the last point I'll make about They Live is that um, obviously Paul, you were talking about this off mic. There's this uh, Keith David and Roddy Piper fight scene that goes on for eternity. I think at, <laughs> I think at one point it was possibly the longest fist fight in film history, but I've got nothing to I've got no sort of uh, nothing to back that up as, as a as a true fact. But I'm fairly well, confident it was. Well, but. try try these facts and emphasize. First of all, that scene was designed, rehearsed, and choreographed in the backyard of John Carpenter's production office. <laughs> and and the second one, way better. This one. Uh, uh, the fight was supposed to be 20 seconds, <laughs> but, but both actors decided... How long does it run? It's got to be it, at least... I think 12 fight. minutes 12 minutes? In okay. total. Which is crazy. Uh, yeah, but they um, decided to duke it out for real, only faking like shots to the face, pretty much. And the rest of it is just them wrestling around for, for as I say, near eternity. But yeah, it's it's a, a, a strange film. It sort of feels a bit thrown 
come together at times. Uh, people get thrown out of windows at times, and I really love it for for all elements. I think of another. It. I just I want to throw in Big Trouble in Little China into the mix as well because it's just it's just a, a, a gleefully bonkers good time. Um, and it's a Big Trouble in Little China is written by a guy called W. D. Richter. Uh, who went on, I think after, the, I think it might have been after this, I might be wrong on the dates, but he directed one of my cult favourites, which is uh, Buckaroo Banzai. So, mm. um, and it kind of makes sense when you see just how, how bonkers Big Trouble in Little China is. Jack, I dread to ask, have you seen Big Trouble in Little China? <laughs> uh, what do you think? No. Yes. <laughs> you have seen it? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> You've got some catching up to it, honestly. I know, you're I really you're, missing, do, you're missing some yeah. tricks there. So, um, yeah, um, yeah, let us know, uh, listeners, what your favourite sort of John Carpenter moments are. I think it's, I think it's fair to say his more recent output has not been not, not quite been of the best, there. but we're celebrating him rather but than... But happy birthday, Mr. Yes. Carpenter, and uh, many more years to come, hopefully. Many more happy and productive years for, for the man himself. So um, we're going to kick off our uh, next section, which will be coming attractions, and we'll get to that in just a moment. So we're back with popcorn movies, not coming attractions, because Pete has obviously not done the show before. No, I have completely forgotten the running order of what happens. It's like a trip to the cinema, Pete, where yeah. you start in the foyer, then go to the popcorn is counter. It? Yeah, is it's it? kind of that's that's kind of how it's structured. It's, so. it's almost like I came up with this concept <laughs> yeah. and then just <laughs> forgot how it worked. But yeah, coming attractions, it wasn't a lie, that is coming up. It is, but yes. First of all, yes. we've got popcorn movies. This is where Paul and I go through some films that we've seen over the last seven days that we think bear speaking about on the show and people might be interested in. Paul, what what have you got first? Um, I, I'm a glutton for punishment with these horror sequels, to be honest. Um, and I thought I'd um, step up to the plate and take on um, 2017's Leatherface, um, the next entry into the um, really, really great Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, uh, directed by Alexandre Bustillo and Julian Maury, I think are the names here. Um, it was a crock of shit. Uh, to be perfectly wow. honest so, so why because um, I know that so, you've got all this ire towards this movie but what's actually wrong so with it? I, to start with I wanted to give it credit for trying to do something a bit different so it, it kind of puts itself uh, as a setup, as a as a prequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's like background on Leatherface. Yeah, so right? it's kind of the established the, the kind of setup how the Leatherface character comes about, and it, it it starts out trying to do something a bit different. So it's kind of like a road movie where you get um, a group escape from a mental hospital, um, and then they go on the run, and lots of there's lots and lots of gore and lots of different things take place, and it's kind of establishing why Leatherface is is the way that he is, and 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 what Leatherface does before he's Leatherface basically um, the Sawyer family's in it again which is the, the family from the series of films um, it's, so yeah I wanted to give it credit for that and some of the gore's quite good in it but again it's just uh, two major problems with this um, one of which is Leatherface characters like Leatherface don't need explaining they're scary because they exist they don't need context necessarily well a lot of the fear I think comes um, from the not knowing yeah. right? the mystery of that character and the fact that if you think about if you look at the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre the fact he just appears out of nowhere and then the door slams behind him you're like shit mm. and having what especially having watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre quite recently it really highlights just how poor it, the remakes and all the sequels have actually been um, and it's just it's just a very flat movie. The acting's not particularly great. There's no one I would say who jumps out. Oh, um, Stephen Dorff's in this as a sort of bastard, bastard deep south sheriff who's kind he'll, of he'll take a check. Right? Yeah, he'll take Stephen a check. Dorf. Yeah, um, there's no one particularly good in it, and it's it's just a very flat. And poorly made films. Did, did you honest. say something about how they, they try and explain away the psychology? Yeah, and the, this is and this is getting to the other problem I have. And this is not just with this film. Um, sorry, do you you right, Jack? Yes. Just yeah, throwing right, your headphones. Yeah, just yeah, checking. Did you like the film? Or no, no, I didn't. No, okay, no, fair no. enough. Good. I'm not a fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre either. Uh, what? Get out. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. uh, yeah. Sorry, going back to what I was saying. This isn't just um, this isn't just a problem with. Texas Chainsaw Massacre in general or this film this is a wider problem that horror cinema I think it has a responsibility to deal with which is at one point in the early setup that you look down on the hospital notes to the, the guys involved um, to, to le- basically the guy that becomes Leatherface's notes uh, and it just says bipolar Right, well, I, like, but the symptom of bipolar is not murderously hacking up people with a chainsaw, and it seems very easy for horror films in general to just write, write off 
character's actions just due just due to mental illness. Mm. Now that's misrepresentation. In in the current day and age where a lot more focus is given to representation of, of minority groups in general, whether, whether that be sexuality, whether that be race, whether that be gender, it just seems like representation of mental health on, on the screen, especially in horror cinema, is just completely ignored. It's why that why <laughs> like, that film split with James McAvoy so shit though, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly the same no, it's exactly no, the I same just, problem you had with split. Yeah. Yeah, because that's supposed to be DID, uh, uh, dissociative identity disorder. I think that's what, yeah. what it sounds for. Um and again it feels a bit irresponsible. It's not necessarily, I think, Paul, that you're saying that, you know, horror film directors are where you go to find out the nuances nuances of, no, of mental not, health. So I'm not saying that in categori- the Categorisation. No. But at the same time, when you actually put a name on it, it's like the problems I had as well with um, Side Effects, the Soderbergh movie, where you're naming actual, um, like, antipsychotic and antidepressant drugs, the brands that are available, whether stateside or in the UK, and then building this sort of fluffy, uh, thrillery, blumont plot around it it feels a bit irresponsible so I totally get that and I think you know it's enhanced in Leatherface's case because the film just is not very good at all I mean there's the gore, some of the gore effects are quite good, but it, I would say it's needlessly gory without any context. It tries the the twist they put in as to who is actually Leatherface. You can see come in a mile off, and it's not particularly clever. Uh, it's just not a very well executed so, film, to be honest. I so would steer well clear. Let's lift that film off its feet and hang it onto a big hook. Yes, and, uh, I agree. I'll come in with my first one of this week, and that's a little film I saw called Brad Status. Currently taking some pelters from some uh, critics, I think. Uh, this is directed by Mike White and it was released uh, just at the tail end of last year. I think we got it here at the beginning of, of this year because it's just a, a fairly recent release at the cinemas anyway. Uh, it stars Ben Stiller as uh, Brad. And he is this guy who seems to kind of have it all. He's uh, relatively successful in his career, at least in... Um, and from an outsider's point of view, he's relatively successful. He works for an NGO that is trying to um, sort of build a network of, for distributing funds around the world to help uh, projects that need help. Uh, a fairly worthy cause, you, you would agree. Um, he has a son. His son's looking to get a place at a, a prestigious college in the United States. He wants to study music and he's happily married. So all going fairly well for Brad. The problem is that Brad thinks that his life doesn't measure up because, and we, I think we've all been here, I mean Jack, you've just got out of school so maybe not quite yet, <laughs> but no, bear with me, but um, what he does almost constantly in his mind is he like adds up what he's done and what he's got with what his school and particularly college friends have and what they've done and what he perceives that they've got. You know what we we do and the, the, as a society we do now where we're constantly on Facebook sort of looking at other people's lives and feeling a bit bad inside and like, oh, you know, have I met the right person? Have I been to enough countries? Do I have an exi- exciting life? This is crippling him. So the film's interesting to me because it's dealing with the way we perceive ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves about our status and the anxieties that we have surrounding that Uh, my mother rather surprisingly when we were at a dinner recently uh, rather surprisingly because she's a a very well-spoken Christian lady but she said uh, that she'd heard something that she liked which was if you've got one foot in the future and one foot in the past then you're going to be pissing on the present and I feel like that is is exactly what he's doing here because he's so wrapped up this Ben Stiller character in his own neurosis regarding his, his status his achievements and his legacy that he can't see what's in front of him which is the fact that he's raised this son who has all this potential and ability and needs his support uh he can't really see past the end of his nose for a lot of this movie i think it's well observed i think it's well written and i think it will resonate particularly with an audience why are people throwing stones at it then do you think Uh, because i've heard a lot of this like oh boo-hoo middle class white heterosexual man okay. so your problems are so valid that kind of thing now I understand where that criticism comes from because yes there are groups who are persecuted who are in a much more difficult position and I sometimes bulk at this kind of obsession that a lot of prestige cinema has with 
the white middle classes or upper Terrence middle classes. Terence Malick's recent output, for example. Yeah, or a lot of like French French movies that I a couple that I've talked about recently, or uh, a lot of oh, Happy End is another one. I suppose, uh, like, yeah. like even that Judd Apatow movie, This Is Forty, where you think, well, This Is Forty, if you're a very comfortably well-off man, yeah. you know, with everything you could possibly want. But the truth is, no matter how much money you have, and no match, no matter like how big your property is, you can still be curling up and dying inside. Um, the last thing I want to mention about this is a lovely little cameo from Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concord okay. as a guy who, uh, it, on the surface at least, is um, has retired at about 40 and is living on a Hawaiian island with uh, two young nubile girlfriends <laughs> and just kind of living it up. So it was good to see you. I can imagine honest. Jermaine Clement actually doing that. Yeah, for real, though, so, yeah. Yeah. Lovely, <laughs> lovely beard come in, long yeah. hair, oh, it's, it's good stuff. But yeah, I do think this is smartly written. I will defend it and I think it's worth checking out. You don't have to see it at the cinema. It'll be streaming soon, but that's Brad's status. Paul, what have you got second? Um, it brings me to my second film, which was going to be a feature review, guys, so apologies. It wasn't, um, but Pete didn't that's, get to that's it. That's my fault. Yeah, um, that wasn't a dig, by the way, just a, just a statement. <laughs> no, I'll take um, it. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, Darkest Hour. This is um, Joe Wright's um, Churchill kind of biopic, I suppose. Well, not really biopic, it's set around about the... It's a um, small period of time. Yeah, a small period life, of time um, during World War Two when basically Britain was on the ropes um, and the, uh, the Dunkirk evacuations were being planned um, and church, people in Churchill's cabinet, including the king, uh, played here. Oh, I'll get into the cast in a minute. Including the king, are kind of plotting against him to get rid of him. Um, very it treads very very similar ground to Jonathan Teblitsky's, uh Churchill um, from the middle of last year with Brian Cox in it. I didn't see that um, one either. Yeah, um, very very similar ground. In fairness, uh, this stars um, of course Gary Oldman, um, who's getting a lot of buzz around this performance, and Ben Mendelsohn um, as the King, uh, who's very very good in everything that he does, um, and as I probably mentioned, directed by Joe Wright. Um, to be honest, I wasn't overly struck on this film. I, I wanted to like it more. I think the the Gary Oldman performance is very, very, very good. Um, I would say um, it possibly will net him the Oscar, although every year Daniel Day-Lewis is in contention or releases a film, then and also Daniel Day-Lewis is retiring, so we'd be intrigued to see whether it goes to Gary Oldman or not. I'd say it's a film more about performance um, than anything else. I think it's, to be honest, it felt a bit like sort of paint the numbers... BBC filmmaking is that mm. would that be a do you know what do you know what I mean by that it just yeah it feels I mean, very much like anyone could have made this film and the Gary Oldman Gary Oldman performance would have carried it I just there's nothing particularly remarkable going on Joe, um, Joe Wright the, uh, unless I'm mistaken is the director of uh, Atonement yes and, correct. Uh, and Je- that Jane Eyre uh, yes. adaptation I, I think and quite sort of stately uh, like well. Uh, I don't know well groomed uh, uh, production and filmmaking and and the kind of thing that that screams maybe for uh, awards recognition but I, I guess if I'm completely honest Paul one of the reasons I haven't rushed out to see it is because I had a concern that I'd have the feelings that you might be conveying about this film it just felt very safe it's yeah. just like okay you've got Gary Oldman in there great He's he does a good job he's very watchable uh, but it just there's nothing really that exciting about it and I would say in terms of a film I know Churchill got a bit of a bashing when it came out last year but I would and I would say um, Gary Oldman's performance is better than Brian Cox's but that's not to the fault of Brian Cox because no one Brian Cox in Churchill uh, would have been told to shout all of his lines that he certainly wouldn't have been something I imagine he's come up with himself so I'd say Mm. Gary Oldman's certainly better than that and that ultimately makes this a slightly superior film to Churchill but there's not much difference between the two to be honest and I just just played it too safe for my taste it's a very much a very much a crowd pleaser Mm. Um, he'd actually turned apparently turned down the role of Churchill uh, maybe a decade decade previous Gary Oldman and it just didn't seem like the right time and then this project came back around and he said like he couldn't see himself playing it just because of the transformation being mm. so great between I mean he's a pretty slight guy Gary Oldman particularly I now d- I do find the transformation I will I will touch on that actually I find he's a little bit odd it does strike me his Gary Oldman's sort of face doesn't really suit the figure of like the build right. and figure of Churchill so at times it does look a little bit bizarre mm. um, whereas uh, Brian Cox um, to not to knock Brian Cox's stature or physique, uh, I think physically suited the role better than Gary Oldman does. So at, at times it's disconcerting, but as I said, Gary Oldman's uh, he is an incredible actor and he does do a very very good job here. So go for that, but I wouldn't expect much more exciting, unfortunately. Cool. Well, um, if you're looking for a good time, I've got a movie for you. Uh, my second popcorn movie of the week is uh, actually Good Time. Apologies for the pun. Um, <laughs> this one's directed good. by uh, Benny and Joshua Safdie. Um, a lot of buzz around this thing a lot of people calling it sort of um, heart pounding pulsating neon drenched excitement I think it is that to a certain degree but I think there's an awful lot 
going on here that I can touch on a little bit without maybe maybe uh, going on too much. Maybe it's a conversation that we'll come back to in the future. But uh, front and centre in this one, uh, Robert Pattinson plays a guy um, whose brother, mentally handicapped brother, played by Benny Safdie himself, one of the two directors. Um, he oh, Rob, I didn't realise that. Yeah, Rob, Rob Pattinson's it? character leads his uh, less able brother into doing a bank heist in... And this is, I think, significant in um, sort of a prosthetic, uh, pulled together blackface. Yeah. Um, And they pass a note across to the teller asking for the money. Things, as you might expect, go awry, not in the bank, but very soon after. And I won't spoil sort of how that goes down. From that point, we've got this situation whereby the two have got to look out for each other and look out for themselves. One of them, Pattinson, obviously, his character is more able to do that and his brother less so. And it's then on Robert Pattinson to make sure that he fights his brother's corner as best he can. Paul, you've seen this one as well. Yeah. Um, I guess all I really want to touch on with it, yes, the filmmaking I did find um, exciting, pretty gripping. I would look forward to the next output from the brothers Safdie. And I think the most interesting talking point maybe is this claim that the film is um, a kind of deconstruction of white male privilege. Given that, what we have throughout is not only a bank heist done in blackface, but then we have this Robert Pattinson character who is pure instinct, right? Yeah. Every And p- pure self-interest. Other than his brother, this guy will step on necks if it helps him out of a situation. In fact, he says to a, another African-American young character, teenage girl later in the film that you'll know because you've seen yeah. it, um, I think he says something like, hurry up. Um, otherwise it will be worse for me yeah. and this really boils down like <laughs> yeah. how he sees the world he's like you and you and you and everyone around me he's is, an utter bastard isn't he yeah, yeah like everyone around there is is to be used by him but it's I don't think accidental that the people who fall in his path particularly as well the uh, Barkad Abdi is that his name uh, the guy who plays the security guard yeah. from uh, that Tom Hanks uh uh, Captain Phillips. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. The Somali yes. pirate from yes. Captain Phillips. Yeah, that guy uh, who works as security guards. That sequence. Oh, that sequence is savage. Yeah. Leaves uh, Barkad Abdi's character in a in a very bad situation, and it leaves Robert Pattinson walking down the street wearing a hat emblazoned with the word security. These kinds of points didn't go over my head. It felt to me like. It's a very ambitious film. It's reaching for certain um, hot-button issues with mixed success. I mean, Paul, add something to in To be honest, here. I, I, I was quite tired when I watched it, and I think I was a little bit hungover, if I remember rightly. So those points, I'll be I'll hold my hands up. They did go completely over my head. Um, what I saw was a very well-constructed and very entertaining thriller, in fairness, mm. um, with an absolutely incredible performance from Robert Pattinson. Mm. Um, that's kind of what I took from it. Did Thinking it... about what you've said now, yes, I can see that. It, you know, it makes sense. I mean, the guy bleaches um, his hair blonde at one point and looks basically like part of the Aryan nation. Yeah. I, I think these <laughs> yeah, things are, yeah. are not accidental. But no. uh, did it remind you a little bit of a film that we both liked recently, Victoria? Where like it's got so, something goes it's, awry, it's over a limited span of time, it's kind of a race against the authorities. I think it had a similar time. aesthetic to, to Victoria, certainly, and I'm quite a big fan. As soon as you put like as soon as you drench something in neon and put a banging electronic soundtrack on it, I'm in anyway. So yeah. I think I you know, I think you can you can take two things from it. I think as a as a standalone thriller without picking up those elements, which I didn't. I really I rated it, but yeah. And I suppose my last, the very last point then is, you know how much we love that movie, The Guest, which yeah. is all electro music backed, and that I really went for that, and I went for this. But I think my problem is when you put that kind of soundtrack in, which is increasingly popular in sort of like indie level mid budget yeah. thrillers, in the background, thanks to Drive, and <laughs> right, and you're trying to deal with perhaps such serious issues as I've touched on, there are times where, to me, it comes off a bit like, now's not the time to be, you know, ultra cool. No, I kind of agree, because uh, it just, that, it distract. if the film is about bigger issues than being uh, an entertaining thriller, then I missed it, because I, distra- I was distracted, I was, to be honest, bit. I was distracted by the neon and the banging soundtrack, and I enjoyed it on that basis. But, so. but yeah, I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not to, to deride this film, check it out for sure, it's available now to stream on Netflix, so you don't have any excuse really to, to miss good time and like I say the Safties are going to go on to do really exciting oh, stuff without sure, a doubt, yeah. so. 
Uh, we will be back anon with our <laughs> actually at this, actually t- this coming time, attractions this time, uh, the yeah. coming attractions section. Uh, see you in a second. So, coming attractions this week, um, I've picked a film, I know the release date for this one, Pete, you'd be pleased to know, uh, but you'll be disappointed to know it's quite a few months away. Um, so, it's a new trailer that I believe dropped on YouTube about two hours ago. Wow. Um, so, this is uh, the new film from Gus Van Sant, uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix. This is Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far On Foot. Um, the title. Do, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's based it's the on... The League of Gentlemen, isn't it? <laughs> he Won't Get Far... <laughs> Uh, it's based on a book, um, and just to give you, I'll give you the overview from uh, from the internet. Uh, John Callahan has a lust for life, a knack for off-colour jokes, and a drinking problem. When an all-night bender ends in a catastrophic car accident, John wakes up to the reality of being confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Um, so that kind of gives you sets the tone, really. Um, from the trailer, I think it looks like it will be very good. Joaquin Phoenix is an actor that I rate very, very highly, um, despite. No, I don't think he's really done many Duff performances, has he? To be honest, I, I wouldn't I say. I didn't have a lot of time for I'm. Still oh here yeah, that or... yeah, that was a joke that backfired. I think. Um, yeah, apart from I'm still here. Um, yeah, it looks like it will be very entertaining. I haven't. Gus Van Sant's last film was was it Milk or has he done something since then? I can't remember off the yeah, top of my head. Uh, it's been a while since I've certainly I've watched a Gus Van Sant film, so I'm quite excited to see what happens here. Um, it looks like it will be uh, a little bit off. Uh, off the wall in its kind of dark black comedy rather than sort of a rather than a more direct harsher drama uh, so I'm quite looking forward to it and that releases certainly US release date is currently May uh, 2018 so hopefully it will follow here shortly afterwards Pete what have you got? A uh, little bit sooner than um, in cinemas Friday January the 26th at least in the UK so just sort of a week and a half away uh, this one is Early Man it's the new one from Nick Park and Ardman Studios Ardman Studios uh, those paying attention will know that what a decade ago they had that fire at the uh, Ardman factory and yes, lost a lost absolute crap ton of their yeah. stuff which must have just been soul destroying for the yeah. people working there but um, these guys are the very forefront of um stop motion animation at least coming out of the UK their output in the past has been beloved uh, to people across the world Early Man stars absolutely everybody from uh, (laughs) Tom Hiddleston to Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones to Paul's personal favourite Ernie Redmayne Uh, we got Richard Ayoade yeah all kinds of people here Uh, really excited about it obviously it deals with uh, prehistoric mankind and prehistoric creatures and I believe that there's a big sort of um uh, people from two historical periods playing a big football match I saw Maisie Williams talking about it the other day okay. uh, so yeah looking forward to this I like Nick Park I like Ardman and it should be a lot of fun I'd be very surprised if it's bad very yeah, it's surprised like t- yeah. 10 days away early buzz is pretty good um, it's a scant hour and 29 minutes yeah it should be a good time at the cinema so look forward to that we will be back with our feature reviews to look forward to in just a moment So back we are with our feature reviews. Um, first this week is Alexander Payne's Downsizing. Um, Pete, we've both me and Jack have tried to set films up in the past and not done a very good job of it. Um, so I said myself as well. Um, so Pete, take us take us through a setup of Downsizing, if you will. Sure. Yeah. So Alexander Payne is a director that, um, if well, where do we start? I mean, probably with something like Sideways would be like a breakout yeah. for Payne. But then Election, going back a little bit further with Reese Witherspoon in a real breakout role. Uh, the guy became known for telling human stories with a real flair we've had more recently things like The Descendants and Nebraska Nebraska Um, was incredible fantastic yeah downsizing a little bit of a departure maybe more on that later uh, for Alexander Payne this is this uh, high concept movie about the idea that in the future resources are scarce or now resources are scarce scarce, to be fair but in the future the situation is even worse and this um, option becomes comes available through the miracles of science and technology to shrink people down to something like one eighteenth of their original size. I forget the exact number. Uh, tiny, tiny, tiny people. <laughs> and one eighteenth might be completely wrong. I think we just pulled that yeah, out. Close else. enough, I think. Yeah. But, uh, tiny yeah, people. To, to make people tiny so that the amount of money that you currently possess will essentially um, give you a lifestyle way beyond your means because everything that you need to buy is going to be necessarily much, much smaller and you're going to live in an enclosed community that's going to be some like, like some kind of dream 
dream place. Um, it sounds a bit Pleasantville. It sounds a bit Stepford Wives or something like that, if you really <laughs> think about it too hard. Does it work? Does it not work? Before we get to that, here is a clip. And do you understand that of your own free will, you will undergo the permanent and irreversible medical procedure commonly known as downsizing? And that following the procedure, your bodies will be approximately 0.0364% of their current mass and volume? Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Paul, I need a yes or no? Yes. Yes. And do you understand that there exists an approximately 1 in 225,000 chance that the procedure could result in injury, permanent disability, or death? So that gives you an idea of the actual uh, process of downsizing. Um, so starring in this, we have uh, Matt Damon uh, and Christoph Waltz are probably the most recognisable. Yeah. Um, who else have we got? Uh, Chris, got the inf- Kristen Wiig. Uh, Kristen Wiig plays Matt Damon's wife. Who you heard in the clip. Yeah. yeah, that we've just heard there. So you heard in that clip that they have to make, or they decide to make the step to be downsized themselves. Um, then I guess a kind of middle class level uh, couple, and they think that they're struggling to get by unless they take that decision near enough, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then Christoph Waltz, you mentioned we meet later on when, through a turn of events, Matt Damon is left small whilst Kristen Wiig is regular size. And it's Matt Damon that we follow into a life of uh, essentially quite sad sort of solitude to yes. begin with, where um, his his humdrum existence is punctuated only by raucous parties uh, thrown by his upstairs neighbour, played by Christoph Waltz, uh, that he decides to investigate. I think he, he takes along a giant single rose to the first party that he attends, right? Because it turns out that when you move from our regular-sized capitalist society to a micro-sized capitalist society, you've still got yourself a capitalist society. And people are still looking to exploit that and can do so with even less... um, even less barriers in their way because of the fact that everything's new. It's yeah. like this new territory and the rules of engagement haven't I been... I love all those little elements where you've got Christopher Waltz just going, oh yeah, so basically he has a business partner uh, that's more normal size uh, and like they make a cigar, they buy like one cigar on the uh, in the big world as we we should probably describe it and then like one cigar makes like a hundred cigars in the little world yeah. and little, little elements like that I thought were, were really quite nice and it, I thought it, yeah you've, I've never really thought of that before it is no like, you're, you're absolutely right that is a really nice touch because it's it, it, you know this idea of the economies of scale right like the more that you can buy and the more that you can sell your obviously profit margin can, can go up and up and this is a, a, almost like a joke about yeah. scale, right? Because you think, oh, scale is all about saving money and living in a more economical way. Well, actually, what happens when you get into this downsized world is that people start to live even more above their own means. Yeah, with that, that, like, that, that giant elaborate doll's houses, basically, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. in the light of sort of 2008 and the, the uh, Wall Street crash and all that kind of stuff, you think, like, this is fairly uh, prescient and interesting stuff. Now, um, I'm not sure that this is that prescient or interesting, and I want to get into that, Paul, but like before we do, do you think that once we've got out of the early sci-fi part of the movie and into the, the meat of the plot, did this film work for you? Did it sit with Alexander Payne's other work? And kind of like, where are you at with this movie? I don't know. I, I- I really enjoyed this film, I have to say. I don't think it sits that well with the rest of Alexander Payne's work. I will I will certainly say that. I I didn't I didn't really know what to expect when I was going in, but to say this isn't the saying that it's not the film I expected. That seems like a bit of a vague thing to say. Um but no, I I really enjoyed this. Yes, I would say that at times it feels considering the issues it's it's kind of touching on, I would feel yes, it does kind of feel lightweight and a bit throwaway in places. And kind of a little bit of like a, a zany adventure pick, um, but I actually really really enjoyed it, and I think I I, I just I enjoyed um, I enjoyed Christopher Waltz's performance. I thought he was he was very very funny. Um, who's have you got the cast in front of you? I the do, supporting yeah. actress um, uh, Hong Chow. Yes. Yeah, who plays a a, a Vietnamese um, lady who's made the news because she was involved in protests in her home country. And then shrunk against her will. Yeah, shrunk as sort of a punishment, which brings in this extra element that, again, I don't feel like it's really explored, but yeah, maybe more on that. Um, And then she transports herself, or yeah, escapes her home country to come over to the US in a television box with a a group of other um, escapees, uh, immigrants, whatever. And uh, many, I think all 
in fact perish in, yeah. on that journey. She's the lone survivor, but she's got um, an artificial leg as a result of her injuries. Yeah. And she now works as a cleaner in the United yeah. States. Again, the, the, so, yeah. the subtext is fairly clear here. So I, I thought she, I thought her performance was fun. I, I liked, I liked the character. I said I really like Christopher Walt's character. He was, um, he's, I haven't loved him for a while in fairness, but I thought he was, he was very good in this. Matt Damon gives a, a Matt Damon sort of performance. Yeah. He's okay in it. I don't think he does anything particularly special, but he, he's kind of a Matt Damon every man duty here. And yeah, it was, yes, it was, it was lightweight. Yes, it was a bit throwaway. I really like the fact that it kind of eschewed, eschewed the normal kind of stereotypical like oh let's try and dodge giant things there wasn't like animal attacks or that kind of thing although maybe it could like have done with a bit more of that. yeah like stuff, yeah. having talked about the incredible shrinking man um quite recently um I, I kind of thought we'd be in that kind of territory here and we weren't and i kind of like the fact it didn't do that and tried to do something a bit different with the whole like economies of scale thing i think it's got a very i think it, for me it it's got a very potent message about the urgency of, of climate change. Um, and there, there are events happen that obviously, as, as you've touched on Pete, that it's in this film where we're ever so that we're in the near future, but in the future where the, the climate is almost irreparably damaged. So I like those elements. I just thought it was a very sweet, good natured um, film that I had a lot of fun watching. Yeah. I mean, Alexander uh, Payne seems to be scared stiff about uh, environmental issues from, from what I can gather in uh, recent interviews that I read of his and so he's taking this stuff sort of very seriously and in his and this sort of stuck with me from I think it was the sight and sound piece uh, that I read recently where he basically said well yeah we are doomed like it is a matter of time there was a point in the past where we thought well if we don't change then we're doomed and he believes um, as you know many people do I suppose around the world that it's simply too late now like Mm. we are doomed we're on a track to self-destruction and it may be 50 years and it may be 200 years but it's going to be not that far until Mm. the end of the world now I suppose what you said Paul I agree with you about the fact that um, I'm glad that this didn't perhaps do a sort of uh, incredible shrinking man honey I shrunk the kids type thing however it was never going to was it because it's an Alexander Payne film Mm. it was always going to be dealing with um, you know anxieties and and neuroses of of these characters and I feel that um, it yeah it's it's just to me a bit too patchy to work I think that there are individual good elements and you mentioned some of them like this Hong Chao performance but on the other hand it's hard not to look at some of that material as being um, sort of so much better than what's around it as to stand out a little bit I think mm. Hong Chao's uh, comic delivery is, is fantastic She she's this sort of um, really wide-eyed she's the the conduit for sort of good people and the feeling of caring about other people right and where you've got Matt Damon a bit flummoxed by everything (laughs) as Matt Damon tends to be right Uh, or the characters that he plays I should say and then we've got her saying like well why why would we give you know some porridge to this impoverished Mexican immigrant well because that's the right thing to do so I appreciated that and I wanted sort of to see that arc develop more but instead we come back to this Matt Damon character I didn't find particularly interesting and his final decision about where he's going to go and I sort of and I'm not spoiling the ending but a kind of tacked on ending that to me felt a bit like a a cop-out and a bit like a Alexander Payne's written down half a screenplay and it's an interesting high concept idea but doesn't really know what to do with it and doesn't have the conviction to take it to a more uncomfortable place um, I mean, maybe I'm in the minority. I mean, this one's splitting opinion. It's got, I think, a 63 meta score. Okay. So it's kind of I mean, I can, it's not high, is it? Jack, you've seen it. What did you think? Because yeah, I think you're I more, mean, more probably in, in the middle of us, aren't you? I think. Yeah, but. I think so. I mean, the concept was was highly appealing. You know, this is this this is a very futuristic thing that could well happen. Um, going into it. As I'd get said. downsized personally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There'd be no argument. Um, I'd get downsized. Well, I'm already away. pretty much downsized anyway. <laughs> but um, I think. But 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 sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you, no so I want to come back to your point. Yeah, but like, yeah. just on what you were saying, and just at the very premise of this film, I yeah. understand why we're making this a premise, and it's for the, all these subtextual points that we've talked about. But you wouldn't get downsized, though, would you? Because we're in a society now where we're all so worried about being the un- under the thumb of the powers that be. You get downsized, you get wiped out, son. They want to take you out, <laughs> they wash you away. They, they, they power hose you off the face of the earth. I mean, it, it opens you, you up to being without any power. I mean, what are people, can they do it the other way? Can people get upsized? I mean, uh, maybe that's the next <laughs> film. <laughs> it's a massive Sorry, movie. Jack, back to you. No, that's, that's quite all right. 
Um, yeah, and I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and there were some really like funny moments, which you know, I haven't watched the film at the cinema for a long time where I was hysterically laughing, um, and I think unfortunately because it was, it felt like a serious idea, it sort of went downhill for me with the sort of the amusement and the, the comedy aspect of it, um, and there's one scene which is sort of near the end where that little explosion at the end if you know what I mean oh yeah that was great yeah. and I was just like <laughs> it, you know it's taken its toll on the film that was just like do you think then do you guys think then that there's, there's kind of two films here there's, there's the, there is, the one yeah. that we got which is kind of the, the comedy, almost lightweight comedy caper which is the yeah. one that I liked and then do you think there's a, a more serious film in here that, that perhaps this film should have been is that where I think yeah I think it could have been more serious. Yeah, be I, I don't even think, I don't think either of those things actually. I think that the problem that Alexander Payne as a filmmaker has had with this material is that he's overreached and I think that it's, okay. the, it's the scale of this idea that is just beyond him and I think that, you know, what did we mention? His last film, fantastic film, Nebraska, this is a small story essentially about one road trip and a few yeah. human beings. Well, we did say it would be interesting to see right? what he does with a bigger budget and a higher concept. So. Yeah, but I don't, but I don't know, like, it, no, it's interesting for sure, Paul, but like I don't necessarily want filmmakers like Alexander Payne to get mm. bigger budgets I don't think bigger is better and in this case I think bigger is considerably worse oh no I'm not although, saying it is necessarily better just from an intro I said it's an interesting to, yeah, always see, yeah. to see what directors can although, do with it and whether it works although it's but, interesting to talk about bigger better or, or smaller better when we're talking about a film about <laughs> yeah. shrinking people down to a smaller size so um, yeah I don't know I'll stick with the borrowers yeah. perhaps yeah. And, and just uh, also one one completely needless jab another performance <laughs> from Jason Sudeikis which was exactly what you expect from Jason Sudeikis, which was um, uninteresting. I forgot he was in it. And bland. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I think I. Yeah, I. I would say I'd say watch it. You'd probably say don't. Um, so yeah, there we go. Well, I think. Watch it. Form your own opinion. Yeah, I, yeah. There's, there's good yeah. stuff in there. Yeah. And, and Hong Chao that we've mentioned, great performance. I look forward to more from her. Uh, yeah. However, so. I you know, I found it quite hard to sort of know whether to laugh at her. Um, vocals. Well, you're not the only one. You're not the only one who said a that. A lot Jack. been said on that. There, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of people who've said that maybe it feels uh, a little bit exploitative and um, just for sort of light. Uh, comic relief. On the other hand, Hong Chao herself has vociferously defended the performance. Not the performance on its quality, but the performance as a representation of yeah. that character. So I would take her word over maybe other people's. Yeah, and, yeah. And but say, yeah, you're not the, you're yeah, not the yeah. first person to pull up because it's a very pronounced Vietnamese accent, isn't it? Yeah. Things, yeah. So. Um, yes. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of that review. We'll be back very shortly with a review of The Commuter. So, our second uh, big juicy review for this week is the new one. If you'd from... seen Darkest Hour, we wouldn't have had to talk about this film. You're aware of that. I, I'm looking <laughs> forward to talking about this, man. Not least because I have been banging the drum for director <laughs> Jam Collet Serra um, at least since we really liked The Shallows. Which yeah, was I, last uh, agreed. One. Agreed. The we, Shallows with was superb, yeah. I think our argument there, Paul, was basically not between us, but the argument that we were putting forward is that Jam Collet Serra is this sort of action, mid budget action director director who's uh, doing something a bit more inventive than you get from a lot of other directors and all kinds of elements in the shallows would indicate that we had a point this one um, stars uh, one Liam Neeson you might know him he's been in a <laughs> been in a, a half dozen oh, okay. taken films he's and, been uh, in this film before hasn't he yeah. <laughs> and I mean I mean let's not forget Liam Neeson has been doing action movies since what Dark Man in like the, the yes. early 90s yeah, but probably Taken is the first of this batch isn't it I Taken is the is the sort of late middle age Liam Neeson yeah. batch of research and uh, action films yeah this one The Commuter well, Although Dark Man is very good. If it's excellent. Yeah, if, it's, if people haven't seen Dark Man, seek it out. It's a very good early superhero film. The great uh, finger cutting scene. In yes, that. yeah, Dark uh, Man is good. But yes. Yeah. The, so this one deals with uh, Commuter, obviously, played by Liam Neeson, also obviously, who takes the same train to and from work every single day. Uh, one day he goes into work and is let go. Uh, he is then travelling back on the train. Hasn't told his wife about the turn of events in his professional life and um, is approached by a strange uh, or mysterious woman played by Vera uh, Vera Farmiga who tells him or basically sets up for him a social experiment that seems at first, first uh, to be hypothetical and it turns out that actually is going to be a lot more hands-on and real life than he first expected. Here's a clip. You must know everyone on this train. The regular commuters, mostly. Let's do an experiment. 
experiment. Just a simple hypothetical question. What's that? What kind of person are you? What if I asked you to do one little thing? Would you do it? I'd want to know what kind of thing. Someone on this train does not belong. So that, in fact, is the very same social experiment you've just talked about, Pete, um, which is the the which is kind of the the high concept um, for this, I'd say, action heavy film. Um, you'd be forgiven for thinking that that sounds like a similar chat to some of the text messages Liam Neeson was receiving in the film Nonstop. Mm. Um, so there are similarities here. The film share a director. Um, which I hadn't realised um, Colette Sarah had made non-stop for quite some time. Yes. Um, yes, it's very hard, Paul, to not think of whether it's non-stop or something like the Jodie Foster movie Flight Plan yeah. or something like, uh, uh, oh, what's the one with Jake Gyllenhaal where he keeps repeating the same period of time on the train? Source Code. Source Code, Even yeah. that kind of thing comes into mind. And later on, uh, something like Tony Scott's movie Unstoppable. There's all yeah. kinds of reference points that sort of jump into your head, even from the last, like, ten years watching this movie. It's not particularly original stuff, but is it good stuff, Paul? Not really, uh, unfortunately. I said, having, like, really liking The Shallows, which is probably... We should just talk about The Shallows again, yeah. to be honest. I really had... I had... I had Oh no, I'm going to say it. I had fairly high hopes for this. To I be did honest. as well. No, I did. I, I went into it quite excited to see it, um, and what we got was just very, very bland and generic. Like almost initially, I was like, okay, I don't mind if we've seen this thing before, as long as they do something exciting with it. And they, they don't really do anything exciting with it. And like some of the set pieces are, are, are moderately exciting. I, I like Vera Farmiga as an actress. I think. Like I think the premise where she sets in this social experiment is is an interesting enough one, but then she disappears fairly early on into the film and doesn't really play a big enough part to to keep things interesting. And then you've just got some some sort of very, I'd say, one sheet one sheet sub characters like Mister Goldman Sachs and like like some of the people he runs into on the train. Francis uh, Florence, is it Francis Pugh? I want to say. Yeah, Florence, Florence, Pugh. Florence Pugh's character is like the the kind of stereotypical gothic photography student who's got like a bag full of fake IDs and stuff, and it's just so that all the sub characters are very very one sheet, which would have been okay had the action been any good, and it's just not. It's just a very very sort of CGI heavy, just bland action scenes. To be honest, there's one good scene I think when Liam Neeson beats someone up with a guitar. That's quite entertaining. Um, but uh, Pete, what did you what yeah, did you think? The only actor I want to mention as well is Jonathan Banks, who's your boy, uh, yes. the boy, the fixer from Breaking yeah. Bad. So, like that guy now is like this sort of next level character actor. Even though yeah. he gets very little to do here, he's still eminently watchable. But I mean, I want to jump off with a, a couple of people that you mentioned there. I don't. I'm sure Vera Farmiga is lovely, but when I see her in the credits for an upcoming film, it makes me start to yawn. Um, I put in that same char- uh, category Patrick Wilson, Patrick Wilson who plays Liam Neeson's ex, Alex Murphy, colleague. Robocop. Yes, yeah. that's right. The character's called Alex Murphy. It's not a Robocop prequel, unfortunately. I knew I was going to get that in somewhere. Ro- Sorry, yeah. So Patrick Wilson no, is in this as well. Robo yes. performance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I, I think yeah, both of them are fine, but I just don't find them particularly engaging here, and it, and it feels to me like what you slot into a sort of B grade, C plus grade sort of action film as mm. people like that. Um, I don't know. Vera Farga is who you get when you can't get. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, when I first watched the trailer, I could have sworn it was Kristen Wiig. Like, I could have sworn Christian Wiig was in this, and it's not. It's been Vera Farmiga the whole time in the trailers, but yeah. for some reason, I could have sworn it was. Yeah, um, yeah. I, it, it just, it just feels so sort of by the books and like the result of of some kind of um formula that at every beat is what you would expect it to be and that's fine like if this shows up streaming in a in a year or whatever bung it on you know late at night and you'll have an all right time but to me this is somewhere below like the girl on the train I also know. i don't think it i don't think it's been made very recently pete and i tell you for why because florence pugh's in this and i can't see off the back of the it's superb Lady Macbeth um, yeah, really and her good. fantastic performance in that. I can't see her taking a role in this. And also, uh, 
Liam Neeson's using a Windows phone in this. Now, I know for a while everyone in Hollywood was using Windows phones, but really, I, I just, I've got a feeling this might have been on the shelf for quite some time, or in fact parked in the siding somewhere, um, and has just been sort of put out in, just sort of dumped out because no one's that confident in it being a success. So we've got, um, yeah, we've got here, just to, just to jump in on this, like, um, Vera Farmiga and Pat- Patrick Wilson were together in The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2. So remember how great they were? Um, and then, uh, <laughs> the Jean- first Conjuring was okay. It was okay, yeah. And Jean Colicera and Liam Neeson have been together for Unknown, non-stop, and Run All Night. And Run All Night was unwatchably bad. In my, oh, I in didn't realise that. Oh, I didn't know he'd done Unknown and Run All Night as well. Okay. Uh, oh, and Vera Farm- Farmiga, of course, is in source code. So yes. <laughs> probably yeah. another reason why that, <laughs> yeah. that sprung to, to mind. Um, but yeah, I... I I don't. I don't know. Uh, it, I, I, I'm totally with you, Paul. That I just hoped for more, but it's an easy quip to make about this film. But it was just sort of on the rails, and then perhaps towards the end of the film, Paul, it derailed, didn't oh, it? Oh, um, yes. And I and I found myself, you know, rest in peace, rest his soul. But I almost found myself longing for Tony Scott a little bit, which is like not good, is it? Um, when it comes to you know an action film, no, because Unstoppable, director. Unstoppable was a much better film than this one. There's, I would say definitely, well, maybe not much better, but it was a better film. It's just a bit more yeah. exciting, yeah. I, I, yeah, Jack, you haven't seen this. Sorry, I was going to pull you into the no. to this review. To I think I haven't missed much. You had a headache, didn't you? Which is yeah, for the best, to be honest. You I mean, left with a headache as well. To be okay, fair. Paul. What we can get out of the ashes of yeah, this? Yeah, let's review get some positivity. Is what would you recommend instead of this? Because there's things we've talked about. I'm going to throw one out there. Train to Busan. Not perfect, not great, but a film on a train that involves stuff going wrong that ends with a derailment that is better than this. Yeah, Train to Busan, <laughs> Train to Busan is, is a good one, I think. The other film I would oh, recommend you know an obvious instead one of this well. is Runaway Train, mm-hmm. um, which stars John Voight and, bear with me, bear with me listeners, because I've completely forgotten who else is in this, um, Runaway Train not the song by Soul Asylum which has just come up on here so thank you for that well, whilst, <laughs> well, whilst you're finding it Paul I'll say uh, Snowpiercer way better than this yes uh, Money that. Train with Money Jennifer Train. Lopez and Wesley Snipes oh. from the 90s no really yeah it's better than this Money Train's better wow, than this yeah, okay. I would say so cool. yeah uh, yeah, so sorry, Runaway Train, uh, John Voight, and actually a quite good Eric Roberts is in this as well. Um, so I would say probably Runaway Train, directed by Andre Kontrovlosky. I've ruined his name there. Uh, yeah, Rebecca De Mornay's in this as well in uh-huh. Runaway Train. So that's Worthy. yeah, any pretty much any other train film. And and also as last point, like don't call stuff the something when the thing is a person's name when we went to The Accountant were you buzzing in your seat oh The Accountant what's it about it's about an accountant oh what's this The Commuter it's about a commuter wow how inventive what about Training Day oh right on that note we're pretty much at the end of the show Um, we'll be back next week with reviews of uh, Pixar's latest effort Coco uh, and uh, Spielberg's latest effort The Post so um, yeah looking forward to that one absolutely Um, in the meantime find us over at strangersinthecinema.co.uk at strangerscinema on Twitter or strangersinthecinema on Instagram or Facebook Um, I've been Paul thank you for listening Uh, we'll catch you all next week cheers shut up and sit down